Uh, I, I'm excited. I, I have the opportunity. I don't get this opportunity uh, too often. I love two, two things about teaching. Anytime I get to start a series or close out a series, I don't know why. It feels like you're batting cleanup. It's something about it that I just love. And I've loved this series too good. Uh, really, the reason this series is such a big deal for us is because of the set of messages that came before it. We, in April, had three messages that we called Just One. And those messages were, were developed out of uh, really prophetic words that came from about 20 or so households of our leadership team. Deacons and elders came together. And we just felt like the Lord was saying, in light of this year that we had in 2020, the Lord was about and had an agenda very plainly. He was gonna bring mass salvations, that we were gonna see groups of people and people groups coming in our house, being in our city, who were gonna meet Jesus for the very first time. And that calls us to attention. It means the way that we do church has to be focusing on those who are young in the faith, those who are meeting Jesus for the very first time. And that's what Just One was about. Too Good is really an equipping for the Just One. We wanted you to focus on just one person that you can love, serve, and do life with uh, for the next foreseeable future. But Too Good is to help us understand what does it mean to preach the gospel. This series has been a five-week series on understanding the character and nature of God. And the reason understanding who God is is so important and really the beginning basis of the preaching the gospel is really this, that we have a good news message, the gospel, but it is not only good because it's good words. These words, they came from the dreams and the mind and the mouth of a very, very good God. And we say it's too good because when we consider the undeserved grace, the unmerited favor, the abounding love that he expresses towards mankind, we go, man, that is not just a good God, that is too good. God, you are, you are too good in your ways towards us as we sang about this morning. And here's the overarching thing. Each, each week we've been looking at just different components of God's character and nature. We, we talked about that he's the compassionate and gracious one. We talked last week, Michelle did a phenomenal job. Mom, way to go. I'll celebrate you all day long. She preached on the abounding love of God that we see when he reveals himself to Moses. When God reveals himself, he, he, he tells him his name. And that's the beginning of the gospel. See, for us, this series is to recognize that the gospel message and the nature of God are one and the same. That you can't just preach the word of God without knowing the heart of God, because it's not the gospel otherwise. To preach messages that are true, but without the tone of God in them, they are just words, they mean nothing. God is a God of compassion, love, and mercy, and of justice, and to not preach this gospel in the way that he would preach it is unfitting. So we must begin, we must begin by recognizing who God is. And so, so this series, if I, if I could take that, that, the gospel and God's nature, I, I said it this week in week two, and I just wanna reiterate it again, uh, is this, that the gospel is a tangible expression of God's nature. That the gospel message was with God at the beginning of creation, that, that this, this love story, this message to the world was God's way of saying, I am not a far off God. I am all powerful and I am mighty, but you need to know this about me. I want to be known by you. I am a personal God. I am a God who is very, very near. So in the beginning, it says that the, it says Revelation 13, eight, it says that the lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth were laid. That means that the gospel and the cross was not a plan B after Genesis three. It was not, I didn't mean to rhyme, but that works. That's an easy way to remember it. <laughs> That God didn't go, oh, well, you know, sin happened, man screwed up, so now we have to do this thing called the gospel. No, that the very beginning of all things, Jesus was there, and the gospel was there, and God was saying, I am writing a love story, and the love story is very plain. I want you to know me, and that the God who wants to be known is for you, not against you. 
that the God who, who dreams great dreams dreamed a dream for you and for me. And he wants you to live an intentional and purposeful life. The God who wants his character and nature not just to be felt in this generation, but every generation throughout history and throughout time, those who have gone before us and those who are to come throughout the universe, God is saying, I hold all things together and I want every man, woman, and child to know me. He wants the world to know him. And so he says to Moses in Exodus 34, six to seven, this is what the whole series has hung on in many ways. I am Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and graciousness, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving. That word forgiving is so profound. This is the mercy of God. Forgiving, it means to take away that he would put the sin of the world on his shoulders and remove it from mankind. I am going to give my steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin. And there he talks about his perfect justice, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I wish if we had a, a part six, I wish I could preach on that last phrase, talking about the justice of God. It sounds incredibly harsh, but in essence, I don't have time to go there, but if I could just give you a, a peek of it, it's essentially saying, God's saying, you have absolutely received injustices. You have absolutely been a victim. And I want you to know, even, vict even the sins that have been done in secret, I see them and I know them and I don't forget them. He sees you. He will not forget a single sin. He will hold the guilty uh, in a point. He made salvation for us. He may give us mercy in Jesus, but he goes, every sin that has been done against you, I see it and I remember it. And I love how Tim Keller says it. He goes, the sadness and the brokenness of the world will one day be made untrue as if it never happened. I don't know how that happens, but God will one day put an end to sin, will put an end to suffering, will put an end to evil, and the evils that have been done to you and to me will be undone as if they never happened. This is a profound, and God's going, this is who I am. He wants the world to know who he is. He's personal and relational, and he wanted them to experience who he was in the most real and tangible way. So how does he do it? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, this is so powerful. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the son from father, full of grace and truth. God says, I want to be known and I don't want you to forget who I am. And I am telling a story here and it is a story that has never been told and will never be told like it. And it is about the one whose name is Jesus. Who is Jesus? It is the word, it is God's nature in the flesh. Jesus came so that you would have a tangible ability to grasp who God is that you could put your, your hands around him, your arms around him, that you could know God. But we serve a God who's not just good, that's good. We serve a God who's too good. And Jesus came not just that we might experience this kind of tangible expression of God's grace, but that we too might be this tangible expression of grace. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I mean by that, by telling you about, you ever go in rabbit trails on the internet? Don't lie, it's, tell the truth, shame the devil. 
you like start off and you're like, I need that recipe to make that French soup. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this is how they make pogo sticks. It's like, <laughs> like I had no idea. So I'm on Cornell's Law website. I don't know how I got there. I don't know why. I'm never going back. It was very boring. Uh, it was, but there was this fascinating thing about copyright, the Copyright Act of 1976. Uh, boring, boring jargon. It essentially is, is a, a, uh, an act to help artists not be pirated from. Introduced really with, with A-track and cassette tapes and CDs. Uh, it's essentially saying this. It's to make sure that the work is safeguarded from any fixed or tangible medium uh, that, that would protect the expression of an artist. In other words, people could take a, a music or a song, lyrics from, from a musician, and because of CDs, they could burn that song and then redistribute it, reproduce it, uh, and otherwise communicate it out with or without the artist's permission. This term is called phono record, and I've got the, de the, the definition here for you because it's important for where we're going. Doesn't sound like it, but it is. It's to take a material object to take a material object, as I said, like a CD, and to put songs and sounds, fix them on a CD like this so that they might be perceived, reproduced, or otherwise communicated um, either directly or with the aid of a machine or a device, obviously like a CD player. The God of the universe, the gospel message, it is a tangible expression of his nature. This expression is in the man, Jesus. But Jesus came not just to express this knowledge, he came to reproduce. Genesis 3 was the cinema, but Genesis 1.26, they said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let us put the song of the gospel and burn it onto the hearts of man so that they might not only know God, but that they would be like us that they would be able to express this kind of compassion, this kind of overabounding love, that they might reproduce it in themselves. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to give them my mixtape. It's passion translation, it didn't say it like that. <laughs> didn't say it like that. Somebody, I gotta like, we got to like rewind this. So the Gen Zers are like, what is he holding? It's a circle, no, this is a CD, no. We use them and some people are like, Tyler, that's not even the beginning. Let's talk eight tracks and cassettes. I'm, I'm off the rails, I'm off the rails. I should have never brought up Fender Records. The song of the gospel is burned on our hearts. This is why when you and I, just as Josh uh, shared at worship, awake, O sleeper, that the gospel was burned on our hearts from the very beginning. We just fell asleep to it when sin came into the world. The gospel is on your heart and my heart. This is why our heart sings when we hear the message of grace. This is why something in us awakens. I remember the very first time that I, I grew up in church to give context to those of you who don't know me. I, I grew up in church and so I, I, I've heard Bible teaching and I, by my nature, I'm a rule follower. So I'm, I'm constantly just tell me, I'm, a competi I'm competitive, I just wanna win. Tell me the rules, I'll follow the rules and I'll win. So it was easy for me to understand God as Lord because it was going, he's the guy who's in charge. He's the one who makes the rules. He tells us the rules, I will follow him. But I didn't meet God, our savior. And so I moved here to Georgia and we had, we had a, a pastor friend come in and he just preached message after message after message about the grace and the gospel of Jesus. And for 20 years growing up in the church, I know that the, the message of the gospel had been preached to me, but it was the first time that I actually heard it. And I remember taking just feverish notes by it and it was as if something in me came alive. I knew then, I go, this is what it means to be born again. I surrendered my life to Jesus. You could tell her, were you saved when you were seven or were you saved when you were 20? I have no idea how it works. All I know is what I experienced in that moment. I took feverish notes and, and, and I'm not trying to be, be weird. I'm taking notes and literally mind-blowing revelation is hitting me and I, I look like, a, like a, 
I almost said a word. I looked ridiculous. I don't know if I can. I looked ridiculous because as I'm writing it and reading scripture that I'd read before for years, I literally was doing this. I mean, could not, I mean, there's people on the row with me. We're just sitting there and they're explaining it and we're just. And, and I, I've never experienced something like that before because it was the first time it was like, no, God walked into the room. I knew the message of the gospel, but then I felt the heart of God. That was the day I met my father. That was the day that I met the God who wants to be known and he made himself known to Tyler. And God wants to make himself known to every single person in the room today. There is a God who holds the world in, in, in the universe all together, but he's holding your world together as well and he wants to be known by you. And so for me, I, I, you know, you go, okay, so phono record is this idea that, that God has reproduced. He's put the gospel on our hearts and that he wants us to go out and to preach the gospel. This series, once again, just to get back to the main goal, we are called to preach the gospel in our city. We are called to preach the gospel in our community, in the company that God has put us in. We're not called to just keep the gospel here and only to marvel at it. That's a beautiful gift. Discipleship, growing spiritually. We wanna continually see that, but we are called to distribute the heart of God to the world who needs it. This is why we were created, to be like him. If he wants to be known, then we have to make him known. And so John 15, one to five, this for me is, phone, you wanna know where phono record is in the scripture? Here it is, it's talking about us being copied like Jesus and for God to do his work through our lives, to put his song on our hearts like this CD. It says this, and we know this scripture, I am the true vine, Jesus speaking, and my father, God, he's like the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I love verse, verse five. Jesus is saying this very plainly. He goes, you and I, we're like one and the same. I am the vine, you, me. We're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you here today have been asking a question that we've all asked at some point. And we continue to ask, what is the purpose of my life? If you want your life to bear fruit, then you have to be on the purpose of why you were created. You were created for this. You wanna know the secret to life. You wanna know the secret to contentment. You wanna know the secret to satisfaction. It's to bear fruit in the purposes of God. I promise you, your soul will sing if you surrender your life to Jesus. So here's the single main, main point that I wanna bring to us. This series is about teaching us to be a copy of the gospel in the flesh, to be a tangible representation of a good God to a world who needs him real bad. It is, our, it, is, it is what we are called to do. It's why I'm calling this message a tangible gospel. How do we make our lives, the message of our lives, tangible for people to grab hold of? Those who are connect, that we are connecting with at our work, at our kids' school, wherever it is in our lives, how do we make this gospel tangible? Because God doesn't just want people to hear a good message. He wants them to feel his heart. So that's, here's my main point, make it tangible. We as a community need to commit ourselves to our cities and our county to make this gospel tangible. And I've got three ways to help us make this tangible. Number one is this, we have to be planted. 
It's a good question to ask. Do you know where you've been planted? And if you've grown up in church or you've been a Christian for a while, you might go, yeah, absolutely, Tyler. Northlands, I'm planted here. This is where the Lord's called our family. You are not planted at Northlands. Oh, Tyler, you work here. You can't say that. (laughs) I moved here in 2010 and I thought, man, the Lord's calling me to Atlanta to be planted at Northlands Church. The Lord has called me to find life transformation at Northlands to equip me for the work of ministry, but I am planted currently with the Hanel family, my wife and my daughter. We are planted in the city of Norcross. The Lord has called me to absolutely be here to find transformation. You have poured into my lives. I'm looking at so many families who have poured into my lives, but my wife and I, we are called to be planted in Norcross. Perhaps you were planted in a city. Perhaps you're planted at a company. Perhaps you're planted in some organization or on a, on a sports team. Where has God called you to be planted? In other words, there are people who need fruit from your life. Do you guys need fruit from my life? Sure, absolutely. But more than, more than you or me, there are people in our city who need to hear the gospel for the very first time and they need the fruit of our lives. The gospel and revival will not happen in the clean halls of our church. They will happen in the dirty streets of our cities because Jesus came for the sick, not for the well. Jesus came for the lost, those who need to be found. Jesus didn't come to make uh, bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. This is the gospel. So asking the question, where are you planted? I remember, I remember when I decided Norcross is where I was gonna be planted. I, uh, it, was, it was 3rd of July, which if you're in Norcross, you know that's really the 4th of July. That's when we celebrate. I don't know how that got started. Doesn't seem practical at all to me. 3rd of July doesn't feel American, but we do it. We do it. And uh, I remember I was living in Tucker um, at the time with my wife. We were just getting started career-wise. Um, this was 2016. Evie was maybe my daughter. She was maybe one or so. Yeah, just, just a few months old. And, uh, and we had friends of ours who, who are now members here, but it was the first time that I met them, Steve and Brittany Murray and David and Callie Murray. And they said, Tyler, why don't you come to July 3rd? And I'm like, what's happening July 3rd? It's like, it's the 4th of July. I was like, no, that's the next day. Anyway, so they, know, they said, come, hey, we've got friends who are gonna open up the yard. We're just gonna hang out with a few families, a few families. And I remember we, we parked at their house. We walk about, I don't know, five miles, I'm sweating by the time we get there. I'm like, what is this? This better be good. Cause I'm, I've walked, I'm carrying a baby. And I walk into a friend's yard and I kid you not, there are 30 to 40 couples that are in my season of life, just neighbors in Norcross. And I'm, I'm just amazed. So I go and I start mingling cause I'm an extrovert and I just got, this is like my catnip. I'm just like, let's go, rage on. So I'm getting Nicole and I a lemonade. And by the time I walk to get us some lemonades, I walk back to her and I, I look at her and I go, I don't know how we're gonna do this because we definitely didn't have money to put down for a home. We definitely didn't have the, the means to move anywhere. I said, I don't know how we're gonna do this, but we are moving here. We're supposed to be here. I could see vision of, of the ministry of God taking place in this city. And I was like, oh, I can own this space. In order, in order for you to determine where you've been planted, when you determine that, you need to own that space, to take responsibility for it. Take responsibility for your neighbors. Take responsibility and go, man, what happens in this city, I want my hands on it. I wanna be a part of it. We, we got a text from a, from a friend of ours and they said, hey, we got this car show. They're looking to add more leadership to it. It's this British car show that happens in Norcross. They're saying, hey, we wanna engage young Norcross, people that are in my, my uh, demographic. They're going, hey, we want you to step into like a leadership role there. And I'm going, I'm gonna own this car show with people. I'm not gonna be the one to lead it, but I'm going to make sure that our hands are on it because there's an opportunity for the gospel to be leveraged here. 
There's opportunities for us continually. I don't know what company you're a part of, but you need to look for opportunities to own that space, not just to come to work, punch in, punch out nine to five. The people that are in that space, you need to own that space, to be planted there. Know where you're planted and then commit, put down roots in it. Number two, so make it tangible. We need to determine where has God planted us? Where are we called to plant? And we need to own that space. Number two, we need to embrace the pruning process. Embrace the pruning process. Now, if anybody here is a gardener, uh, you already know this. For some of us who are not gardeners, pruning by its very nature is just uncomfortable. It requires cutting and cleaning. So when, when, when John 15 says, hey, I'm going to prune those I'm going to prune those that are bearing fruit. You're not being punished for the cutting. The Lord has one goal in mind. Pruning has one goal in mind, and that is to bear much fruit. You're bearing fruit right now? The Lord's like, congratulations, let's go to pruning. Let's cut it up a little bit. You're like, whoa. Why? Because it's, it's gonna be costly, it's gonna be inconvenient, it's gonna be uncomfortable, and maybe even at some times painful, but I promise you this, it will lead to more community, more connection, more opportunities of the gospel, more influence. God wants to continue. We said that in, in worship, that was the message of the testimony itself, is God is always looking to do more in your life because there's people who need more of what you have. So then the question has to become then, God is the gardener. He's committing to helping us grow in the purposes that he has for us. What is God maximizing in the pruning process? When God is pruning us, what is it that he's trying to produce more of in our lives? And there's two things that I have. Maybe there's more, but here's two main ones. God wants to prune these two things. He wants to help in your capacity and he wants you to help in your influence. God wants these two things to grow. In other words, capacity, he wants more of who you are at greater levels. He wants to increase. If you can hold one ton, he wants you to hold four. He wants to continually grow you and grow you and grow you and grow your capacity because the more fruit that you can bear, the more people that you can reach with the gospel. This is the work that God is doing in our life through the Holy Spirit. Number two, he wants us to grow in our influence. I love this scripture in Matthew chapter five, verse 14 to 16, Jesus saying it very plainly, you and I, what we have in us, you and I, we are the light of the world. We are like a city on a hill that should not be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. When people see your good works, they are the father's works. So they should be singing glory and honor to the father because all they're hearing is his song. And so, of course, God is going, I want your influence to grow. I want you to be made more visible. God's not gonna make an apple tree and then put it somewhere hidden in the city. No, he's going to put it somewhere on top of a hill so that people who need to be sustained would see it plainly and come to it. And he wants that tree to be filled more and more and more. I, I, we, I had friends of ours, again, these, these people in Norcross, they're crazy. They just, they just lasso you in with stuff. Some of them said, hey, Tyler, you should run for city council in Norcross. It was nonpartisan. I was like, what the heck? Let's just see what happens. And what I found, I go, let me just tell you, it was costly to the Handel family. It was continually inconvenient, very uncomfortable. I did 10 years before I became a pastor in the full-time setting. I was in sales for 10 years. You know, the one thing that I was like, see a sales, I'm never talking again. It was cold calls. Hate cold calls. 
what's cold calls? It's just you walking up to an office, complete strangers, introducing yourself and being like, would you like to buy some? It's like a glorified Girl Scout moment. It's just like, do you want some cookies? It's just like, it's, it's just like that moment. It's just like, nobody cares. And you don't even have cookies. If I had Samoas, I might be able to sell something. I never did. It was something stupid that nobody wanted. And I did that. And, I, and so you know, what, you know what campaigning for Norcross was? Knocking on strangers' door and selling the worst thing you could possibly sell, yourself. You just kind of be like, hey guys, I'm Tyler, vote for me. But can I just tell you, in that uncomfortable space, the Lord continually increased my capacity. He continually increased my influence and visibility in the community itself. I must have knocked on over 350 doors and I'm telling you, it's probably the most gospel work that I've ever done and I've worked in the church for a long time because I was praying for people in their driveways. They invited me into their homes. I brought the gospel where they were in the space and now, and I lost counsel, except it's okay because I don't wanna be a politician to begin with. I get all the influence without having to deal with any of the meetings. Hello. It's after, and so even though I lost that race, I can still see the gospel work there. People know me in the city and I've gained visibility and I've gained influence and capacity, not to stroke an ego, but to see that the gospel would be distributed, distributed and reproduced again and again and again. We should find these opportunities and leverage them for the sake of the gospel. Can I just add, what, what would that printing process look like for you? Perhaps for some of us here, it's, it's you accepting that promotion that you're like, I don't even know if this is what I wanna do. It's gonna maybe cause me to move to a new city or, or, or maybe even a new state. Perhaps it's gonna be uncomfortable, but perhaps that's the invitation. Perhaps it's stepping onto that board that you're not sure that you wanna be on. Perhaps it's, it's, it's moving into a new home and you're leaving. It's, it's, there's moments of where you're having to have the gospel goodbyes. In North Carolina, I, I, in 2010, I had my gospel goodbye moment. I grew up in North Carolina. First 20 years of my life was there. It was a small town, which means I knew everybody. I was comfortable there. Things were great there. I was seeing God do incredible work there. And the Lord's going, I love the work that's happening, Tyler, but I want more of it. And it's not gonna happen in North Carolina. You're gonna have to move to Atlanta. Much easier because Nicole was here. So it was like, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> got, to, got to be close to my girlfriend, became my wife a year later. But I'm telling you, it required me to say a lot of gospel goodbyes. There's people that I haven't talked to in almost 10 years because we just lost touch. And we wouldn't have lost touch if I didn't, if I didn't move. The pruning process, it will cost you. It is difficult, but I'm telling you, I am telling you, it is always worth it. It is always worth it. There are, I think about this often. There are people that are sitting in this chair that weren't here when I was here in 2010 that are here now, some of which I invited to church. And I think to myself, they wouldn't be here if I wasn't here. There are people who are supposed to be sitting in these empty chairs that you're gonna be meeting in your city and you're gonna bring them into belonging and they're gonna see radical transformation because you're gonna introduce them to the God of the universe. You, can, you have to make the decision, am I going to embrace, not even, not even just deal with it, embrace the pruning process, own it. Number three. Number three, last point, and we can go have lunch. It's first service. We can go have a brunch, actually. We don't have to get a lunch. hey Number three is this, be generous. Be generous with this fruit. I love, I love generosity because for me, I obviously love the God who's abounding in love, but for me, when we talk about a tangible expression of the gospel, I go, I cannot help. I go, man, God is just too generous. And God wants you to be generous with the fruit that he is going to make available in your life. John 15, think about this for a minute. Fruit is never meant for the branches. 
A branch is never designed to enjoy the fruit. The fruit of your life is not for you. You're Tyler, what am I left with? Well, you're connected to the vine. He will absolutely sustain you. He will absolutely fill you. He's absolutely gonna give you all the nutrients that you need that come from the fruit. But the fruit of your life is not meant for you. It's meant for somebody else. That's what Just One is about. It's asking the question, the fruit of my life, who is it for? I love this. Uh, It it kind of offended me because I was like, is that theologically correct when I heard it? Uh, Peter Esmussen, Michelle quoted him last week. He said, he said this to me. He said, Tyler, you know what I've learned? People will fall in love with you before they fall in love with Jesus. And I went through that John the Baptist, like, no, 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 I must decrease. He must increase all that. No, but the point is, is if you take John 15, you get the fruit of my life. People that are in the city that I am in, Norcross, it's my space, whatever your space is, people that are in your space, they're going to see the fruit of your life. And the fruit is connected directly to not the vine, but the branch. People are gonna connect with you before they connect with the vine who is Jesus. You're the direct connection to the one that makes their heart sing. You're saying, let me tell you about the work that the vine is doing in my life. Have it for free. Freely you've been given, or freely you've received, now freely give. It's the ability, and we talked about this in week two, the fruit of the spirit. This is the fruit that is coming off of our lives. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruits of the spirit of God who lives in you. The songs that he's put in your heart, he lives in you. These are the fruits that will be bearing out of life and he's gonna make them more and more and more and more. And you've been given these things for free. So give them away for free. These were not meant for you. I, I, um, I keep thinking, if, if we go off of that premise that I began with, the gospel is a tangible expression of God's nature, then this next statement also has to be true then. If the gospel is a tangible expression of God's nature, then God's nature is the perfect proclamation of the gospel. Which means this, that the proclamation of the gospel for the people that are in your city It does not begin with words that you preach to them. It begins with you embracing and living in this new identity. In order for you to properly proclaim the gospel, it's not with your words. Before you speak a word, you have to get his heart. And so when it comes, the reason too good is so important, the reason it has to do with the gospel is in order to understand the message of the gospel, you have to meet the author. And I wanna ask that question to some of you. I I, I know that we've covered a lot of text and and, and these things, but if... I don't know why you're in church, perhaps somebody invited you, but if you've never said yes to Jesus, I just, you've got to meet him. Before you understand the words of this, this, this story, you've got to meet the author because I'm telling you, it will radically change your life. You do not meet the God of the universe. You do not meet Jesus and leave the same. I'm, I'm up here today, but I was not like this before. I, I knew who I was. I was a sinner and I was in deep need of a, of a savior and Jesus showed up and I deserved, uh, I deserved condemnation. I deserved punishment. I deserved every, because there was plenty of, I wasn't, I, was I a victim in many ways? Absolutely, but I absolutely made victims. I deserved punishment. There's this, there's this fascinating prophetic lyric in, in Chronicles about, it just says a wise woman from Tekoa and she, said, and she said this to King David as he was chasing down his son Absalom. She said, like water that's poured out and can't be recovered, so you and I must die. But this picture, this is not God's heart. 
for he devises ways to bring those who should be banished out of banishment. Our lives are broken in many ways. Some of us would look at it and say irreparable. Our lives, we poured them out and we've broken them in many ways. And anybody who would look at this would say, this is unrecoverable. We deserve death. But the God of the universe devised a way to bring back those from banishment. He devised a way to fix what was impossible to fix. This is the heart of God. The God of the universe said, I need you to know who I am. I'm the God of compassion. I'm the God of grace. I'm abounding in love. I want you to know my mercy. And when we deserved righteous justice, God said, I'm gonna take care of it. I'll devise a way. Even though justice would say that you and I must die, he sent his son Jesus to come and rescue us so that he took our punishment. He took our place. He took our spot so that we might not know the wrath of God, but only the mercy and grace of God. Jesus wants to meet with you today. Jesus wants you not just to hear words, he wants you to feel his heartbeat. And I'm telling you, this heartbeat is in every single one of us here. It is awakening in us even now. For many of us, it's like it's beating again for the very first time. You go, I don't know when it got here. It's been there since the beginning when he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. This is the two good God that we serve. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, and even if it's just an exploring, saying, Tyler, I just wanna know a little bit more about this Jesus. I wanna get to know him. I would love to talk to you after the service, but would you just, let's just take a moment just to reflect on these words. And I'm just gonna ask, Holy Spirit, the words that I have spoken, I am trusting that you were in them and that you would begin to transform the hearts and minds of people and that those who might not know Jesus would begin to surrender their lives to him for the very first time. If you are here today and you need to know this Jesus and you wanna know more of him, if you call out right now, the God who holds all of the universe, will, I'm telling you, he will rush into this space with you and he will be very, very near. He wants to meet with you today and this is just the beginning. He wants to radically change your life. So Lord, I just ask, would you just do what only you can do? Would you rescue and save? Would you reconcile? Would you redeem? Would you restore right now? Would you awaken our hearts to this truth that you are a good God and you are here to rescue and save that which is lost, to make us from dead to now alive? In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks so much, guys, for being here. I'm gonna invite Josh to come on up.